Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship on a beautiful Sunday morning. I can't really believe it's October and the sun's shining like it is and it's warm weather and I can kind of get used to this, I think. Now, Gail asked me to read Matthew 3 this morning. That's right, isn't it? Thought we better double check that before we really get into it. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with this. But as we went through the morning, Connor opened, and then we went to Sunday school. And I don't know, a few things just kind of spoke to me. So let's read Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then he went out to him in in Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it is becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So I don't want to spend too much time up here, obviously. But I did want to bring out something that that spoke to me from the opening this morning till now. We've actually been talking about this very thing, getting back to the basics, what's really important, what really matters. And I look at verse 7. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O you generation of vipers. Ouch. These guys just got called a venomous snake. You know, what does a viper do? It kind of slithers around on the ground, through the grass, doing its own thing, kind of worrying about itself and itself only. Protecting itself, anything that gets in its way, it just bites it and kills it. And they just got called a viper. Seems a little painful to me. So where am I at? It made me think, you know, Cody was leading Sunday school in our class this morning, and and this actually came up quite a bit during that. And 
he was going on with some other stuff, but I kind of got stuck. Because am I one of those Pharisees and Sadducees that all I want to do is protect myself and not worry about anybody else? I've got an agenda. As Connor brought out this morning, we worry about the little things in life instead of what really matters. What is my agenda? Is my agenda what John was doing? John the Baptist? Preparing the way of the Lord and making his path straight? Is that my agenda or is my agenda to get the boat out this afternoon and go down the lake? Not saying there's anything wrong with that because I do enjoy that myself, but what's my agenda? What's really important to me? These Pharisees and Sadducees thought they were doing what was right, I believe anyway, but what were they missing? Why did they get called a viper? So as we did in Sunday school, turn to Galatians 5, what were they missing? What sometimes am I missing? The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, uh, uh, verse 22 in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So what were the Pharisees and Sadducees missing? Was it one of these? Was it all of these? I don't know. I wasn't there exactly. But what am I missing a lot of times? Could be love, joy, peace. Mm-hmm. It kind of hits me hard. When I, when I actually stop and think about what they were told they're a bunch of vipers because they're just kind of working towards their own agenda. They thought they were doing the work of God. But did they forget about gentleness? Did they forget about long-suffering, or did they just want to bring the axe down and, and call these people out and make it right? Joy? Did they have joy in their life? I don't know. Likely not. If you have that mentality, it doesn't seem like it could be real joyful. Because where does all this stuff come from? And they that are Christ, that's where it comes from. That's how you can have this. The love, joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness. That's how you can have that. Maybe we're getting on to where we're realizing why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were called vipers. Sneaky. I don't know. It's kind of sobering to me. Something to think about. So let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another or envying one another. But let's be Christ. Having crucified the flesh and all the affections of the lusts, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, I think we'll find the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which is the good works that we're called to do. Or is it a lifestyle? Maybe it's just simply a lifestyle. Maybe it's not about doing good works. I think that's what it is. It's not about looking right necessarily. It might help. It's not about being right. The only way to be right is to live in Christ and him live in us. I think I'm going to close with that. Um, let's go to prayer request John Kenner. I think I'm going to call on you to pray for us. 
Is there any prayer requests? We want to see Jesus, amen? Good morning. It's wonderful to look out and see your faces this morning. People that want to worship the Lord. Welcome to worship. And we especially are thankful for all of you visitors here today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I suppose that the main thought of this chapter that was read before us this morning would have been the ministry of John the Baptist and the repentance that he called men to. However, that's not what we have in mind out of this chapter this morning. I want to ask you this morning, as you felt the call to worship, what resonates in your heart this morning? What pleases God? How will God be pleased? How can I live my life within the perimeter of the pleasure of God? What does the word tell me that will please God? These were some of the thoughts that I've had. And I realized pretty quickly as I thought about those things, that first, I must consider the pleasure that originated and is generated within God himself. Father God, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, his word, and his plan. So I've chosen for a text and a title this morning, the last four words of this third chapter of Matthew. I am well pleased. We want to talk about the joy of the triune Godhead today. I think as we start there, we're going to just start clear at the first of the book this morning. And we're not going to ask you to turn to Genesis 1. the creation account, but I would encourage you to study the first chapter of Genesis this week. In one chapter, six days of creation, and you will notice as you read that chapter, you get down through there verse by verse, and you'll see that God created something and then he said it was very good. And I think he says that probably a half a dozen times there. And it was good. And then when he gets to the end of the sixth day, that chapter says that he looked on everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Creator God was well pleased with his creation. I don't know how you view the majesty of creation, but I think I will just share with you 
my own personal testimony and the experience that I had yesterday morning. We got up and uh, the air was filled with quite a bit of moisture and there was enough water on the leaves of the trees that droplets were hanging off of them. And when the sun came up and it shone through the heavy moisture of the air, the droplets of the leaves on those trees, there was a picture that I can't really explain to you, but I'm just going to say it like this. It was undescribable beauty. A little bit later, we took a little walk out in our woods. And there's quite a few oak trees out there that God has created. And I looked at some of those leaves, and there were leaves on those oak trees that were 8 inches wide and 14 inches long. There are also poplar trees out there in our woods, tall, majestic tulip poplars. And they had leaves on them that measured nine inches across. And then I went on down where the pine trees are. <clears throat> Majestic, full pine needles measuring nearly seven inches long. Sometimes I like to uh, do my reading and studying out on the front porch. And Shirley has uh, a couple planters out there on either side of the steps going down into the yard. And there are red flowers in those planters. And as I sit there, here come the hummingbirds. They will suspend themselves in midair three or four inches in front of that flower, go into the center of it, be there a second or two, back up about the same distance and go into another petal of flowers into the center. And they'll do that a number of times and it'll take several seconds. And then they'll disappear as quickly as they came. The pleasure of God all supplied within himself. I am well pleased. We're talking about creation joy. The pleasure of God created to reveal himself to mankind. I want us to turn to one verse in Romans. Well, we don't, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to us. Romans 1.20 reads like this. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even the eternal Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And there could be a lot of time spent in that verse. But you know what? That is a fact that men struggle against. And why do they do that? 
Why do they struggle against the pleasure of God's creation? That is all powerful within himself. It is because it calls men outside of themselves. It calls men to accountability. It calls men to worship a creator God. When I view creation, it is a strong call to me to worship God. Creator God is the triune Godhead. As you study chapter 1 of Genesis, you will see in the second verse that the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. As you read on down through that chapter, you'll come to a verse that reads like this. And God said, let us, plural. Father, Son, and Spirit are one God. Three distinct, inseparable persons. <clears throat> distinct Unique functions, yet one, perfectly and pleasantly united in relationship. And that is all mind-boggling to me. But it is a strong call to worship God. You know, I think it would just be a good idea if all of us would just take a moment in our public worship to be able to do that audibly before God. Those of you who weren't here Friday evening at our council meeting, we uh, decided that maybe we'd eliminate a song at the end of our worship service. So I'm going to invite us to one right now. If you'll take out your worship his majesty book from the and, and if you'll please stand up and look for hymn number 109 together we will praise the triune godhead hymn number 109 one of you choristers just start that for us praise god from whom all blessings flow While we're considering our limited minds and how they're boggled with the pleasure of God, I'd like to think about God's thought and ways. If you'll just open your Bibles to Isaiah 55, we'll read a few verses together. Isaiah 55, we'll just read about four verses starting here at the eighth verse. 
Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. I think that God and his word are going to be an eternal discovery. But he says here in the here and now that his word sustains, it cleanses, it sanctifies, it is bread to my heart and soul, and I cannot live without it. And it is his pleasure to provide it for me. The pleasure of God to provide his word for each one of us. And that is a call to worship. Now I want to think about the pleasure of God coming right down to where we are. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Behold, a virgin's going to conceive, and a son will be born, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. It pleased God to come and dwell among us in the fashion as a man. He became a man conceived in the, in the womb of a virgin, made flesh and dwelt among us, all the while no less God. 100% man, 100% God. Jesus Christ, all man, all God. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The joy of triune God. The joyous, grand design that pleased God. Now I want to read a couple other verses out of John's Gospel. I'm going to read from the 8th chapter. And this is the words of Jesus, 28th verse. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know... That I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Not only was God pleased to come and dwell among us, but as he did that, in the presence of his Son, his son did always the things that pleased his father.
pleasure of God. And you know, as I think about that, that should call me to a worship that will deepen my relationship with the Lord. Well, let's go to the, let's go to the uh, chapter here that Ryan read for us this morning. And maybe we'll just think about the last few verses of this chapter when Jesus came. And, and this was when... This was when... Uh, well, maybe we should, maybe we should read uh, a few verses from Galatians. This talks about the fullness of time when he came in his birth, and it also talks about this fullness of time that we're going to read about here in Matthew 3. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son than an heir of God through Christ. So Christ came, God sent him, presence with us, and now... Another fullness of time had come and Christ was going to enter the prophetical office that had been prophesied of him. And Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. And G I'm going to start reading here just in the 16th verse and get the last couple verses just for time's sake. Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Let's think about the first part of that. When he was baptized, lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And you know, you realize here, he didn't start out his public ministry here at Jerusalem. He started it out here at the River Jordan. And this, to me, was a road of his condescending to all mankind. All men need Christ. All men need to be baptized of the Holy Spirit. And they all need the grace of God. But heaven was opened. And what did Jesus see there? I think he saw the joy that he would have in complete obedience to his Father's will to fulfill the pleasure of Father God. And he would have the pleasure as he looked up into glory to open to all mankind the kingdom of God, the pleasure of God. It had been shut up because of sin. The second part of that verse says that the Spirit descended upon him 
like a physical form of a dove. It came on Christ. And I don't know what all you make of all of that, but to me, I'm just going to say that God is pleased to be in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And then he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father affirms his joy and presence by his voice. And I want to go to Peter's account when he witnessed this scene and what he wrote. He wrote like this, The Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice unto him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What was Peter saying? He was saying there is a strong affection a lavish love of the Father for the Son. The time had come that the Son would literally reveal unto us the Father. And the Father was well pleased. All the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit would dwell in the body of Jesus Christ, the beloved Son. And it greatly pleased God. And it calls us to humble worship of the triune Godhead. I want to go to another account now that's mentioned in three of the Gospels and I have chosen the book of Luke and this is the account of the transfiguration, Luke 9. You can turn there if you choose to. I'm going to start reading in Luke 9, the 28th verse. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, this was when Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples about going to Jerusalem and giving his life. It came to pass about eight days after these sayings that Peter... And John and James went up to a mountain to pray. And as they prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which should be accomplished at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, not knowing what he had said. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, 
and you'll notice a couple words added here. Hear him. Now there's a whole lot going on here, and we're not going to go into all that. We just like to say it like this. I think Moses here represents the law. Elijah, the prophets. And all of these pointed to Christ. And when this scene was finished, there was Jesus alone. Christ would fulfill perfectly all of the law and the prophets. And God was well pleased that through Christ, he could offer the glorious gospel to all mankind. The good news, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, and he says, hear him. Receive him by faith and repentance and a surrendered life and baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's not going to be any great big temple built for Moses or one for Elias. And there's not going to be some kind of a great big shrine built for Christ. You know why? Because his temple is the heart of his people. And it's a pleasure for him to dwell there. You know, I think about Jesus teaching about not being too so overly concerned with our temporal life here. And then he has these words to say to us. He says, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, I, I just think that should so inspire my worship that it's filled with awe and wonder as I worship the Lord. That's the call. You know, I think there's a real intriguing verse in this group of verses of this account. And that is that Moses and Elias who appeared with the Lord in glory, spake of his decease that would accomplish something. You know, the natural man and the human reasoning would probably think of decease in a negative way. But here, it is a great accomplishment, an accomplishment of victory by dying. So I'd like to think about that for a moment. How much that pleased God. We're going to go to a familiar passage in Isaiah, 53rd chapter. And uh, the title over this chapter in my Bible says, The Rejection, the Suffering, and the Death of God's Servant. All the suffering, the shame, and the pain meted out to Christ as the perfect Lamb of God. 
And you know, he didn't just die. This verse says that he suffered. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Verse 6 in this chapter says that God laid all the sin of the whole world, of all men for all time, and his wrath for sin. Let's not forget that. We studied about all the righteous wrath of God this morning. His wrath upon the fondest object of his heart, his son. You know what it said? Verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. That is the offering. I think I'd like to put another title out here to the side of this title, a subtitle that says, God's well-pleasing sacrifice, redemptive joy. I'd like for us to somehow try to wrap our minds around that a little bit. I know it's not possible. It pleased the Lord, Father God, to lay his righteous wrath on the fondest object of his heart, his son, for my salvation. For my sins he did that. Verse 12 says that Jesus poured out his soul unto death. And verse 11 says that Father God saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. Why? Let's go back to verse 10. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Father God could see men that would surrender to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus receiving salvation. And Father God would take pleasure as his kingdom prospered through the surrender, the submissiveness, and the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. Satisfied and pleased at the travail of his soul, the death of his son. People, that is lavish love for my soul. You know, I can't begin to comprehend all that, but I believe it. And it is an urgent call for me to worship, a call to faith-believing worship. Well... Let's go to the resurrection, the joy of the resurrection. We're going to think just a little bit about Matthew's account in the last chapter of his book. And you will recall that the women who went to the tomb and found it empty were in a hurry to go tell the disciples 
that Jesus wasn't there. And as they were in a hurry to go do that, Jesus met them. And he said, all hail. And in our language today, those words would have been, oh joy. Oh joy. Jesus Christ is well pleased to impart the power of his resurrection to the believer. No man took Jesus' life from him. Jesus said that he had the power to lay down his life, and he had the power to take it again, and that was a commandment that he had received of his Father. We spent a little time in Galatians this morning. As you start that book, you will see there, as Paul introduces himself to that church, he calls himself an apostle called by Jesus Christ and by God who raised up Jesus Christ. Jesus raised himself. Father God raised him. Read through the book and see how many times you'll see that the Spirit quickeneth and giveth life. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power and pleasure of the triune God, Godhead. A call to worship with joy in my heart for the pleasure of God to mankind. All accomplished and generated and originating within himself. I guess is a uh, benediction verse this morning. I would just like to go to the verses that we started with this morning when Brother Connor gave us the opening. You just turn in your Bibles. Those of you who were not here, it was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a joy that is soon to come for the believer. A joy of God. A joy of the triune God. 1 Thessalonians 4, I think we'll just read a couple of verses here. This is what Connor started with this morning. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a joy, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The joy of the triune God. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, I think it's, a, it's always a joy. It's always pleasant 
And it always pleases God to be able to comfort his people. I'm going to give you one more personal testimony. I can uh, remember very well the day, the time, and the place when I was invited to public preaching. And you know, it was not a man, it was none of God's people that first encouraged me. I got my first encouragement and comfort from triune God. Immediately following that call, we were all invited to sing a hymn that went like this. This God is the God we adore. Our faithful, unchangeable friend whose love is as large as his power and neither knows measure nor end. It is Jesus, the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Father God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. They have never, ever let me down, and they never will. And they never will you either. Hallelujah and praise God. I'd just like to invite all of us to stand for a closing prayer. <clears throat> Lord, as we come to you at the close of this hour of our public worship service, it has been a wonderful privilege just to think about your pleasure today. We don't understand all of your righteousness and pleasure and wrath and all that you are, but we believe it by faith. Lord, we live in a, in a world that is ravaged by sin that is ravaged by disease, that is ravaged by turmoil. And yet we know that your sovereign will will prevail and that you will use even unrighteousness to accomplish your pleasure. And that's beyond my comprehension. So Lord, we just pour out our hearts and worship to you, not only today, but every day of our lives. For all the grandeur of your pleasure toward us. Lord, I pray you would just reach down to every need with your healing touch, your comfort, 
your peace, your joy, your hope and purpose, your love and your mercy and your grace and all that you are and touch lives that they would turn to you. I just pray that all of us would feel a burden for the joy of the gospel to men, that your kingdom would increase, that you would receive maximum glory. Lord, I just pray that all of your people around the globe, that every soul here would experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost throughout all of their journey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.